0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the duct tape marketing podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Dory Clark. She is a marketing and strategy consultant and frequent contributor to Harvest, not Harvest, Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur and Forbes. And she's also the author of a new book we're going to talk about today, Entrepreneurial You, monetize your expertise, create multiple income streams and thrive. So welcome back, Dory. John, it's great talking with you. So I never edit out those flubs because I think people enjoy those. So you know, there's, <laughs> there's got to be a harvest business review out there, like farmers read it or something.
1: I <laughs> Absolutely, I should write for that too. That would be pretty cool.
0: All right, so let me ask you this. And I've been getting a. I had somebody on the other day, uh, a new book on social media, and this is a book on essentially kind of. Branding and starting you know a personal business and whatnot, a lot of books on the both of those topics, so help me with kind of do you feel like there's a new central idea you're presenting here
1: there is and and essentially i I actually um sought to write a book that I had not seen before i want I wanted to really write a book that was information that I was after. And so entrepreneurial you fundamentally is talking honestly about how people make money as coaches and consultants and providing a framework and a roadmap to help them do it even more effectively I interviewed 50 plus uh, very successful six and seven figure entrepreneurs yourself included John and really broke down their revenue models and helped explain okay here here are the options you know if you were if you were a coach if you were a consultant uh, and uh, if you are a small business owner of any kind, what are the things that you're not doing now, but could to increase your revenue and leverage your time to be able to diversify and get even more bang out of the buck of your customer relationships?
0: So I think a lot of people have, you know, certainly come to realize the corporate, you know, way is maybe over to some extent. And so now is everyone a consultant, author and speaker? It's kind of the triple threat. (laughs) You know, a
1: a lot of people are, certainly. Uh, In fact, of of course, there's a well-publicized study that was done by uh, Intuit that said Forty percent of Mm. Americans would be freelance or uh, or self-employed professionals. So, you know, we're getting very close to uh, to one and two. But even for people who who are not, um, I, I, in fact, argue that one of the safest things that you can do for your career is to develop at least one other income streams so that you're not so reliant on one source of income. And certainly for anybody that's an entrepreneur or a small business owner, in some ways we're diversified because, of course, we have multiple clients um, and and that's good. So if there's some kind of a shock or a disruption, uh, you know, you lose an account or what have you, you have other options. But I would argue that, uh, that really, you know, p- people misunderstand. They think entrepreneurship is about risk taking when actually it's about being smart and risk mm-hmm. mitigation. Yeah. The best way to mitigate it is to offer multiple types of services or, or offerings to your existing clients so that you, you have options and you have more legs under the table.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, you know, over the years have uh, applied for a mortgage or to refinance my house or something. And the fact that I was a entrepreneur in, in, you know, some banker's eyes made me more of a risk. And, you know, I, I used to sit there and think, you know, I've been doing this for X amount of years, had the same income. I decide what my income is going to be. And like, I think somebody who's in a job getting paid a salary is the ultimate risk. <laughs> but, but, and I think people are coming around to that a little bit, but there's still that mindset
1: absolutely I, I learned it early on rather inadvertently because I got my start uh, professionally as a journalist and I ended up I w- you know it was my first job and I was uh, just out of college I did it for a year and then I got laid off and mm-hmm. I couldn't get another job as as a journalist because they were really starting to collapse at the time and that was the first taste of, of understanding that you really can go from being totally fine one minute to completely not fine the next without any warning. And I think the, the real benefit of entrepreneurship is understanding that, that you can uh, find ways to really protect yourself a lot more strategically in the ways that are necessary in today's economy.
0: You have developed a, a self-assessment as part of this book um, to, I, I guess, to help people decide it, not only is this for them, but maybe what path Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, I actually created a a free resource. It is um, the entrepreneurial use self-assessment and it is 88 questions that actually walks people step by step through thinking about what types of uh, additional income streams might be right for them in their business and figuring out how to implement that. So folks would like to get that uh, for free. They can download it at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, and the first um, test is if you can't answer eighty-eight questions or won't, well, you're probably not going to make it, right?
1: <laughs> well, you know, eighty-eight is is good too. I, it, this is this is my my global uh, my global self assessment, John, because eighty-eight is a super lucky number in China. Oh, nice. So, if, particularly if you want to crack the international market, answer these eighty-eight questions, you'll be good to go.
0: So, especially in the millennials. Um, the term portfolio career is kind of, you know, as opposed to, you know, my dad or, you know, even me to some extent. You know, I've had the same – I've been doing the same thing for 30 years essentially. But uh, this idea of a portfolio career I think is, you know, where you're – almost each move is maybe gaining you towards another move or that that's inevitable. Um, is that, you know, is that the reality you think?
1: I, I think increasingly it is. Um partly th- there's always been a subset of the population that has wished for such a thing I mean you know I think you and I probably both know folks where you know some folks are so focused all they want to do is one thing but then there's another kind of person that uh, they're sort of Renaissance people yeah, they're yeah. they're into lots of things they enjoy the variety they enjoy uh, the the different challenges and so up until pretty recently those sorts of folks have been at a disadvantage because society just wasn't really structured in a way that accommodated it. Now we have a lot more possibilities. Um, But but also just in terms of overall workplace trends, um, because we are entering a a world that is much more freelance-based and and much more focused on that, I I think that the concept of a portfolio career is increasingly becoming the norm. I mean, I think about uh, even, you know, my own career, one of the reasons that I wanted to immerse myself in this and learn even more about it is that over the past number of years as a marketing strategy consultant, which is kind of the core of my business, I was originally, probably like, like a lot of your listeners, making all my money from, uh, from, you know, from consulting work. People right. would hire me to do marketing plan or social media strategy or whatever. That, that was it. That was the only tool in my toolkit. I now make money in seven different ways. I've worked to build out seven different income streams. So I, I still do consulting, but I also do executive coaching. I write books. I give key, paid keynote speeches. I do part-time business school teaching. I've developed online courses, and I also do some affiliate marketing. So those are ways to to really create uh, stability and optionality in my business.
0: And, and do your you know, members of your family wonder when you're going to get a, a real job? <laughs>
1: You know, I'm I'm on I'm on year eleven, so so I, I haven't I haven't. <laughs> They've uh, stopped gotten, asking
0: you now. Just, they just whatever. Have. Yeah, I don't yeah, get I, what I you do, but as, you uh, seem as, you to know, be putting food on the table, but it's getting there. <laughs> so, you know, one of the big pieces of advice that comes from a lot of books, or or just even you know point of view from this type of thing is that you have to become this trusted you know resource on X. And what I see, I see definitely a lot of people doing that, but I also see a lot of people seeing that as the invitation to jump in and be like the new crazy leader in whatever new social platform comes along. I mean, how do you balance that sort of advice of you have to be the trusted resource on something with the, you know, a lot of people feeling they they end up just jumping from thing to thing trying to be that?
1: Yeah, I think you raise an important point. Um, And, you know, certainly to be fair, there are sometimes uh, first mover advantages. Uh, If if people hop onto a platform and it turns out that that platform has staying power, fantastic. Um, If you were joining... Twitter let's say today it's almost impossible unless you are already a celebrity to get a million followers like just building that from the ground from the ground up now is is virtually nil whereas if you happened to join in 2006 or 2007 and even if you were a regular person right. you could become the Twitter celebrity and gain uh, gain a lot of traction as a result of that um, but I, I think the the bigger point the the more overarching one is that regardless of the Platform, um, the the concept of becoming a trusted authority is a useful and valuable one. I mean, you know, what's what's the alternative, right? Uh, <laughs> you right, know, we right, all right. we all want to be uh, trusted, and so re- regardless of. Which uh, which way you choose to do it, I you know, sometimes people say, oh, but I'm not a writer or whatever. It's fine. It's about the ideas. You could you could blog, you could podcast, you could use certain social channels, you could do videos, whatever it is. But you want to be communicating your ideas in such a way that people can look at them, see them and say, oh. He makes sense. I want to hear from him more. That, that's really all it's about. Because yeah. otherwise, if if you raise your hand, and you say, "Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a consultant." Mm-hmm. Well, no one knows if you're any good. Mm-hmm. They, you have to give them a way to look at your ideas and validate them for themselves, so that they can say, "Yes, give me more of that."
0: The thing that's really tough, I think, for a lot of people is that um, you know you really do need to lock into, I think, a, a unique point of view. Or at least something that's different, and then you you have to repeat it a, a billion times, you know, for five years, you know. Before, I think in many cases, you know, for it to to ring true, and so I think I think that's the real challenge for a lot of people. Is it, it's I'm not just saying it takes work; it takes commitment and consistency.
1: Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, certainly, for me, it took about two between two and three years. Uh, For me to start seeing literally any results Mm -hmm. from the uh, from the blogging that I was doing when I first got started. So during that time, that initial period, there is a real question that legitimately arises in people's minds, which is, is this working at all? Mm -hmm. Because it, it could be that it's not working yet but it also could be that it's just not working and you don't know right. and you have to have that right. leap of faith right. but the key thing and this is uh th- th- this is actually a study that i cite in entrepreneurial u um there was a study that was done a longitudinal study of podcasts between 2005 and 2015 and the stunning thing john now of course we all know there's a huge number of podcasts including including this excellent one um <laughs> Many people say, oh, gosh, you know, how can you ever stand out? How can you ever compete with so many? But the truth is, over a 10-year period, the average podcast duration, the average amount of time that a person was able to keep up a podcast was for 12 episodes, huh. and then they quit. Yeah, right. And the truth is, if you if you just don't quit, if you keep going, you're not competing with 300,000 people, you're competing with... 3,000 or 300 and that can make a huge difference in your ability to succeed
0: yeah there's no question um the speaking of pockets one big component of of this approach and what you talk about in the book is this idea of building your own brand and you know one of the things that i've seen you do uh, because i've watched kind of your I don't know if rise is the right word, but you talked about, you know, you blogged for a couple of years, nobody was paying attention. Now, certainly people are paying attention, um, is that in addition to writing all of those words that you did on your own, you hustled. I mean, you got yourself on podcasts, you got yourself guest blogging things, you ultimately got yourself um, publications that would allow you to contribute. I mean, it happens to be that you're really smart and, and you have good things to say, but you hustled.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's absolutely true. I mean, of course you have to, um, make sure that, that you're applying yourself with these areas. Um, but yeah, when it comes to really building your brand in the marketplace, um, I developed a framework around my most recent book um, that that came out in in 2015, Stand Out, uh, about how to become a recognized expert in your field. And fundamentally, what I discovered after interviewing 50-plus thought leaders across a spectrum of different industries is it's really three things. One is content creation, which we talked about. You have to show people your ideas somehow. Number two is social proof. Um, you know which is basically a, a term from psychology that means your credibility what is it about you that is indicating to other people that they should actually listen to you and one of the best ways to do it is to uh, to have affiliations that other people have already heard of mm-hmm. so that they can say oh well you know she's okay she must be okay she's been pre-vetted and so things like um, blogging for for publications like Forbes or the Harvard Business Review that people have heard of, that makes a big difference in terms of your perceived credibility. Being on po- uh, podcasts, you know, like the Duct Tape Marketing podcast, that makes a big difference. Um, so those things matter. Being involved even in your local civic association, your local professional association, that matters. And then third and finally, what really makes a difference in terms of becoming a recognized expert is your network and building up a, a group of colleagues and allies, uh, people that you, you respect and can turn to. In your industry and outside, that help uh, that help you raise your game and get get smarter and get better.
0: And I'm going to point out another thing that you did um, that I think people need to understand. When you got the deal with Forbes, and I correct me if I'm wrong here, um, you appeared to use that beautifully to open doors to build some of those relationships. Everybody had heard of Forbes. Maybe I haven't heard of Dory Clark, but. Forbes. Yeah, I've heard of that. So sure, I'll take her call or I'll take her email or I'll be on, you know, interviewed by her because that'll put me in Forbes. And I think that, uh, again, I think there are probably people that abuse some of that kind of thing, but I think you used it beautifully as a door opener.
1: Yeah, thank you, John. That's that's exactly right. I, I had a very uh, specific strategy around it, which I think was, was a win-win because it right. resulted in uh, a lot of good good pieces for Forbes and good coverage of of different people in Forbes. Uh, But when I first started, I didn't I didn't really have any connections in the field at all. And I wanted to meet people. I wanted to, uh, you know, to, to get to know folks that I had read about and had admired. And so with the Forbes imprimatur, you're exactly right. Almost, you know, not not necessarily the, the most famous people. I mean, you won't necessarily get to talk to Elon Musk or whatever, but uh, but most most people who are not mega billionaires would like to be interviewed in Forbes. Sure. And so if you reach out and you ask, almost always you'll get a yes and it gives you an opportunity to start the relationship from a very positive place you know from a giving place and sometimes you will hit it off with that person and be able to develop a deeper relationship
0: that's right i mean you and and the reason i point that out and i'm not trying to put you on the spot or embarrass you but i i think people need to realize that there are many many ways that you can apply that and and it's kind of like you're you're just trying to evolve you know in that strategy and that and i think that's that's another thing I think people underestimate is is you know they 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 read a book like this or they see this concept and you know they want to go straight for I'm the expert. You know, I'm I'm the leader in this field and I think there is an evolutionary process to like where you start and maybe where you try to get to.
1: Yes, that's that's right. You it definitely almost always takes longer than you want or than you expect but it really one of the one of the stories that I tell in entrepreneurial you which I think is the most impactful is about a, a woman named Stephanie O'Connell who's working to establish herself as a millennial personal finance expert and like a lot of us you know it was slow going she didn't see a lot of progress but one of the the mantras that she had was that she had to celebrate the small wins along the way and and she looked for them and so even if it's something like you're blogging for free and then some suddenly someone offers you $25 to do it right. or maybe you write a piece and someone you admire retweets it or maybe you go from having to pitch yourself all the time to the first time that someone says, "Oh, will you write for us?" Those are all signs You know, a lot of people are just looking, looking for having made it with a capital M. And instead, we need to look for the small wins to say, "Okay, it's going to take a while, but I am headed in the right direction."
0: And I think sometimes we underestimate. We see the people that uh, have quote made it, and we don't. You know, we don't. We don't remember that, or or we hadn't witnessed the fifteen years they put in. You know, to get there. And I think that's what. You know, society seems to sort of reward the made it stage and not so much the making it stage.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And in fact, that's that's why I wrote stand out uh, was that I really wanted to puncture that myth because you 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 only see the uh, the finished product. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to really understand what it took to build toward it. What was that middle phase that so often gets elided in the popular discourse?
0: Let's talk about money, uh, making money more specifically, um, once you've built this uh, this expertise. You know, you see a lot of people that uh, some of the most successes, biggest successes financially that I've seen are people that built a community, built an expertise because they probably had a revenue stream somewhere else. And, and then all of a sudden they thought, I've got 100,000 followers. I think I'll monetize that. I mean, that's a beautiful way to build a business. But, you know, for a person that is trying to put food on the table, that might not work. Um, what... You know, what do you typically run up against when people start saying, okay, I'm going to start freelancing here or start, you know, coaching on the side here? When it comes to, you know, actually asking somebody to pay for their expertise, where do people get tripped up?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you're, you're putting your finger on something important, which is that those those earliest days, those earliest uh, customers can be incredibly nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the stories that I tell in Entrepreneurial U is about a guy named Andrew Warner, who runs a, a business called Mixergy, which is a, a subscription service where uh, he's done more than 1,200 interviews of startup entrepreneurs, and people can pay a subscription and they can access them, sort of, you know. Netflix style on an unlimited basis. But originally, he was doing these videos uh, and sharing them completely for free, and Eventually, you know, he had amped up the production quality. He had producers and editors and he was paying out of pocket and he realized it just wasn't sustainable. And so he decided to start charging. And he was really terrified that people would, uh, would rebel, that they, you know, they'd call him a sellout and, right. and they'd get angry that he was somehow taking away something that they had grown accustomed to getting for free. And I, I think that that can be the case with a lot of us that we are, Nervous sometimes about uh, being being willing to uh, to charge at all, or uh, or you know maybe like the next step down the road is being willing to charge what we're worth right. as opposed to a steeply discounted fee. And so in in many cases, um, we you know we we do have to just plunge forward. Uh, another person that I profile in entrepreneurial U is a, a consultant who uh, I think you probably know, Michael Bungay Stanier. Mm-hmm. Sure. and uh, his uh, his line. Uh, which I, I quote in the book and I love is that when you when you ask for your fee, it should be fear plus ten percent.
0: <laughs> well, you know what's well, one of the things I I do work with a lot of consultants, and you know one of the things I see quite often is is again, especially if they're kind of new, getting started. It's that you know it's that fear I'm going to be rejected. But I think it, I think in some cases, what's worse is this fear that I actually deserve this much or that. You know, that I'm worth this much. And and I really try to, especially after people start working with folks, if you can get a handle on the results you're producing and the value you're delivering, you know, in, in very tangible ways, that can sure help your posture, <laughs> I think, when it comes to asking for a fee.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Qu- you- early on um being able to to quantify the uh, the ROI and and helping people uh really see that and visualize that is is so important and you know i also want to go back and, and hammer something we were talking about earlier which is uh the social proof element the the mm-hmm. credibility element when we think about premium pricing yep. you know or or not even premium pricing just you know fair pricing but certainly premium pricing something that helps justify that and Partly it's justifying it to the client, but also sometimes it's justifying it to ourselves is having uh, having that social proof, having those affiliations that that say, well, you know, OK, there's a lot of consultants out there. But, you know, if 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 this one is blogging for Forbes or right. if this one has, you know, keynoted an event at such and such corporation, then. They're worth more. Now, are they better? You know, i put I put in air quotes. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Yep. But the social proof helps be a, a factor that convinces people that you are.
0: yeah, i um I often laugh with people that uh, when my first book came out and and then you know hit the list and was a popular book, uh, i I actually tripled my speaking fee, and nobody cared if I was any good anymore. They just assumed I was. And <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> absolutely. So, and, and, you know, it's, it's, I, this is really hard, you know, and this is from, you know, this is way hindsight, you know, me saying this, but, you know, sometimes when I talk to a consultant and they say, well, I'll do this for this amount of money, you know, I feel like saying, who would believe you could actually do it for that cost? I mean, you know, that it's so cheap <laughs> that, uh, that there's no way I could get a good product or a good result from that little of a fee. And I, I think sometimes people underestimate that that goes on in people's heads as much as anything.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I uh, I actually tell a story in entrepreneurial you. I thought this was so stunning. Uh, there's a uh, there's an author friend that that I have who you might also know named Kevin Cruz, and Kevin told me a story about a time he was actually on the other side of the equation. Um, at, at one point in his career, he was the executive director of a uh, of a large professional association and they were having a conference and they wanted to have a, a particular speaker uh, you know they had had a committee meeting and people had had suggested this guy and he was uh, you know he had great credentials he was an Ivy League professor he had a best-selling book everybody had heard of him and they thought okay well you know we don't know if we can afford him but uh, but you know let's let's try to get him and so they emailed him and they asked if he was available on that date and he said Yes, he was. And they said, well, what's your fee? And he said, $3,000. And Kevin's group had budgeted $30,000 for the talk because they assumed that that was the appropriate range. And when they heard that, they, they were actually alarmed yeah. because they thought, oh, no, what's wrong with this uh, guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it really can happen that way. Yeah.
0: I remember that story from the book. So tell people, uh, Dory, where they can get a hold of you. You talked about the assessment. And we'll have, of course, these links in, in the show notes. But uh, any, anywhere you want to sh- send people.
1: Yeah, John. Thank you so much. Um, the the best place for people to get in touch to get uh, more than four hundred free articles that I've that I've written. Speaking, you know, social proof alert <laughs> for uh, for Forbes and the Harvard Business Review. They can get it all at DoryClark.com. Uh, plus, of course, there, uh, we mentioned earlier the entrepreneurial use self assessment at DoryClark.com/slash/entrepreneur. And and even more to the point, uh, if you're a fan of John Jance, he is one of the stars of entrepreneurial use. So that is reason alone to check it out
0: oh very very little star tiny star, but, uh,
1: <laughs> oh but shining so brightly
0: <laughs> well i'm gonna take the assessment see if i'm cut out for this thing or not all this, right this, all this right keep me posted thing, i will all right dory thanks so much and hopefully we'll run into you soon out there on the road john thank you hey thanks for listening to this episode of the duct tape marketing podcast I Wonder if you could do me a favor Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks.